0: Welcome to the Dented Puck Podcast. Each week, we'll be talking about the NHL being visually impaired and our favorite combination of the two, blind hockey. We'll be talking shop about everything from the equipment we wear to how we've adapted our play style to fit our sight. We'll also be talking to members of the blind hockey community and getting to know their stories and what has led them to the sport. We're really glad to have you with us, and we hope you enjoy the show. This is our small slice of hockey, and we'd like to think that it shows that hockey truly is for everyone. Alright, welcome back. Uh, this is episode 14 of The Dented Buck. As always, my name's Drew and I'm here with Tony and Josh. Boys, how you doing?
1: Yeah, I'm doing alright, man. You know, just living it day by day and getting ready to go to work tomorrow and enjoying the NHL season in full flight.
0: Nice.
2: I'm doing alright. I'm going to see a bunch of people who don't really know how to play hockey play hockey tonight. Um... I'm also going to play hockey, but uh the sort of the Devils and the Sabres, that's going to be pretty. Nice. How you doing, Drew? I'm yeah, doing all it's right. Maybe ugly.
0: <laughs> well, in in honor of the Devils, I'm wearing my Devils jersey today. So, maybe that gives him some good juju. Uh, so today we are joined by Mark DeFlorio. He's from the Seattle Blind Hockey team and the US National team. Mark, how's it going?
3: It's going very well. Good day to all you guys.
0: Good to have you on. Uh, So, Mark, the biggest and most important question I have for you the entire night. Who's your NHL team?
3: The Chicago Blackhawks.
0: Okay, you can stay. Thank you. How do you you think they're doing this season?
3: Well, uh, I'm always surprised and like, oh, wow, look at that. When they're, you know, still over 500, let alone like four or five games, you know, I think at one point. Uh, when i first checked in they were like six games over 500 and i'm like all right that's that's great (laughs) you know but uh but then i see how many uh, overtime losses or shootout losses the non-skating portion of the game that they lose and it's just like you know if you could convert a few more of those into the win column they could uh you know they could not be so meager but uh you know that's uh I have a, you know, I got a Brent Seabrook Jersey tee hanging in my, uh, hanging in my closet. And so um, I was really sorry. I understand it, obviously, but really, I couldn't believe it that he retired, you know, whatever it was last week or the week before. And uh, so kind of feeling like, uh, kind of feeling like the page is turning on, on, this uh, you know this kind of uh, this era of the Blackhawks, and so um, you know it'll be it'll be interesting going forward. I mean, I you know when I was first off, I remember going to games at the old Chicago Stadium. So you know I'm that old, but uh, you know when I was in college, I went to college in Chicago, and uh, the Hawks were so bad that you could just walk up to the gate like you know 20 minutes before puck drop, and yep. buy a ticket and yep. go to the game. And so obviously, you know, going through going through the the dynasty era here, um, you'd have Seabrook retire is just kind of like, wow, this wow, this is this is happening. It's a, it's a, it's going to be a different different era. You know, it's not going to be the, the team that, you know, my my kids are going to grow up watching. You know what I mean? So, yeah. But,
0: yeah. Uh, and I I also grew up in that time. Um, I was a Stars fan growing up. So I remember old Reunion Arena. Uh, sure. down in Dallas. Um, but I also remember living in Chicago and being able to go and sit like seven, eight, seat, eight, eight rows from the glass for, you know, what you pay for standing room only in the 300 level now. So it's it's been interesting to see the the kind of swing that, that the Blackhawks have taken. Um, do you think we'd be doing better, worse, the same, if we had guys like Doc and Taves in the lineup?
3: Uh no I don't think it would make that much of a difference the truthfully um the western conference over the last couple years has become so incredibly top heavy where all of a sudden the blackhawks became like the slowest smallest team in the western conference Uh, not you know not in the entire western conference but but it's like when you have I mean they they just the I mean, they've never been a big physical team, but they were always able to compensate for that by just having this incredible puck possession and, and just the ability to literally keep the puck on the stick of a Blackhawks player for you know 58 of 60 minutes. Just is the most one of the most extraordinary things you've ever seen, and and they just they just don't have that. And when you don't have that, and then you're playing against teams. Like St. Louis or Winnipeg or even Dallas, these teams that that are just kind of a little stronger or a little faster or even just a little quicker. Um, you know, I don't know. they <clears throat> whatever year ever since. Oh, I can't remember whenever it was when they lost in Nashville in the first round. Oh, we got playoffs. swept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The they got swept. Um, that was maybe what three, three, four years ago. Now, with the with the with the pandemic, all the years in together. Um ever since then they they haven't had their identity has been a little nebulous, you know what i mean and so so i don't think I don't think there'd be much of a difference in terms of you know the, maybe maybe in the standings, you know what I mean you know plus plus a couple wins here and there, but I don't think it's the difference I't do unfortunately, I don't think that'd be the difference between uh you know making the playoffs versus making a Stanley Cup run, you know what I mean, so yeah. But, uh, but they'll, they'll get there. You know I mean? that That's the thing. It's it's a team. I mean, the, the, the upshot of being so good for so long is that, you know, they, they built the infrastructure in the farm system. And so that's a good thing. I mean, the, the pipeline is, is pretty full. They don't have to rebuild the team. They just have to absorb the talent. You know what I mean? And so, you know, so I think that they'll be, I think that they'll be, they'll be okay in a, in a, in a couple of years. And, uh, and if not, we'll be able to go to go to the games for cheap and on a win because we'll just walk up to the gates and buy tickets again, you know? So, but uh, yeah,
0: that would, that would be nice. I'd appreciate that. Well, and I think <laughs> that, that that's the interesting thing about Chicago is that they went into this rebuild and no one knew until they, you know, didn't bring Crow back uh, and traded soft. Um But then you have teams like Tony, like Buffalo, that. I feel like they're constantly trying to rebuild, and then they think they have it, and it just doesn't come together.
1: Oh, it's so disappointing! It breaks my heart.
0: But like, I is it <clears throat> is it the what what is it? Because there's there is genuine talent up and down that lineup. I, I just don't know why they can't put it together. Is yeah. it coaching? Oh. And it's I mean, that's
2: try- just new. That Taylor Hall is just new, but Taylor Hall's—he's never been. He's always been a positive addition until he's a subtraction, and it becomes a problem.
0: But he just got there.
2: No, that's what I'm saying. But they never—that's never, never going to make them any better. It, but they, they're—I'm a Jets fan. It's the same thing. You just keep grasping at straws until something happens, or it just keeps nothing keeps happening. Yeah. I live in.
3: I live in Seattle with the Seattle Mariners, better known as the. And I appreciate it's a, it's a hockey podcast, but we're already talking about the Jets, and I, I, I knew when you said I'm a Jets fan, I knew you didn't mean the ones that play on the ice. You, you meant the ones yeah. that play in New Jersey. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, no, you know, I, I'm I, I'm here in Seattle with the with the Mariners who need to fulfill their destiny as the new lovable losers because you now now the Cubs have won the World Series. And the Mariners are are the only Major League Baseball team to not only never win a World Series, but they've never even appeared in a World Series. Uh, you know they need to just suck it up and and be the losers that everybody wants to root for, just like the Cubs were for 112 years or whatever it was. And so, um, you know, it. Uh, I, I honestly think it just comes down to belief. These te- you you have to believe that you can be competitive and. And, you know, baseball is obviously kind of a different animal. Same thing with football, where, where it's like, <clears throat> excuse me, with, with, this, with the playoff structure being what it is in, in baseball and football, we're only the, the top team and, or, you know, paint with a broad brush, the top six teams, uh, make it into the playoffs. It's kind of like, well, you know, in baseball and in football, you play your division opponents, uh, excuse me, you play your division uh, uh, teams more than any other opponent. And so it's like if the Rams are really good, then you can count zero, you know, zero wins against the Rams for the Seahawks. And if, you know, the, the Astros moved over to the same division as the Mariners and then all of a sudden the Mariners were guaranteed, you know, 18 more losses <laughs> in, in the year. And so, so it's, it's, it's easy to get demoralized in football and in baseball because your opportunity to win a championship is so low because you just got to win your division uh, but in hockey, hockey's a weird hockey's a weird thing because you just gotta you just gotta make it into the playoffs and then anything can happen but even then it's just like you know you uh you just gotta believe you 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 you're you have to believe that you can be competitive you have to believe that you can make a difference you have to believe that you can you know and you know one shift at a time one game at a time and stuff like that and so um you know it's it's all it honestly it's always been. Yeah, the Sabers are an interesting kind of thing. Same thing with like, what's it the the Panthers? You know, same thing. They were, you know, those years when they were like, excuse me, they were like the they were like the the southern version of the Blackhawks. You know, in the early 2010s, and you're like, oh, these guys are going to be pretty good. You know, they got all these kind of recycled players from the Hawks, but it never happened. You know, nothing happened, and so you know the the culture of the team is sometimes the hardest thing to change, but that's usually what has to change in order to be successful.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the same thing for the devils too. Uh, I think that they're finally trying to change the culture in the locker room, which is going on to the, I I still, and Tony, you've probably watched Buffalo a lot more than I have. um, But I just feel like every time I watch them, they seem really good for the first Period, and then it just falls apart. I, again, like I, I don't know, is that is that a coaching issue or is that a locker room issue? Are they, you know, like Mark said, do they just not believe they're a good hockey team?
1: Uh, I mean, there's a lot of different things that can be said into why Buffalo's struggling so mightily and has been for so long. Uh, I mean, I think something that you guys hit on was like finding your identity. And I think that's kind of what Buffalo is trying to do. Um, it doesn't help when there's an article that comes out after every single loss that, oh, they need to trade Jack Eichel. They why did the, why would they have brought in Taylor Hall? Like, if if you're getting nothing but negative media coverage, like I, I'm sure that has, you know, at least a toll mentally on an organization. I mean. There's been countless good players out of Buffalo. Like, one of the best players of all time, like Gilbert Perrault, like, he played. He played for Buffalo. They had a line called the French Connection. Like, they were incredible. Um, I mean, my favorite player, Jason Pommenville, like, it, it, I mean, he was a pretty big part of Buffalo when they made the playoffs and stuff like that, and they were made some runs. They had, like, defensemen like Brian Campbell. And their current team now, like they have young guys who are good, and they have, they most definitely have talent, but it does not seem like they can, on a consistent basis, put it out all out there every single night.
0: Yeah. Well, and so I, like I said, I grew up a Stars fan. Uh, so ninety nine Cup final, you know, oh. I, that's that's my memory of Buffalo because that was a tough series for Dallas. He, and Dominic Kossack is, I still think, one of the greatest goalies of all time. Well, yes.
1: uh,
0: You know, Michael Pekka was great.
1: Uh a <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Miroslav Shatan. Yeah. Shatan, right? It good? Yeah.
1: It's spelled Satan. But... It's yeah. not, not, not Satan, Satan.
0: Yeah. Although my mom, when we were watching that Stanley Cup final, did refer to him as such most of the time. <laughs> so. Yeah.
2: Of course. Of course. it's the way it goes.
0: But you know, I I think that it's int- I, I do I do believe that Buffalo will get better. I just I'm I'm, I'm interested to see what will cause that change.
1: Dude, I'm but, seeing things as crazy as that. They're gonna get rid of Buffalo entirely, and they're gonna move them. Oh, just because uh, they're
0: the the area is not happy with them, so they're no, not going.
1: No. Well, I mean, I mean, believe me, this was an extreme article and everything like that because. You know they got to get people to read it, but like they're about to start allowing people come to come back in, and the fans have like openly like season ticket holders like the majority of them have not made that purchase and they oh, will, yeah. say that they won't make that purchase. Like that's a big blow. Like imagine like if the Blackhawks like just opened back up and they're like, yeah, we'll we'll see. Our season ticket holders, and then maybe a a thousand others, right?
0: Yeah, it'd be (laughs) full immediately. It'd
1: be stacked. It'd be the hottest ticket in town. Same with the Bulls, and um, it's just not going to be that way. Like for Buffalo, and you need organizations need money to go out and get big-name players. You know, there has to be players want to be like, yeah, I want to go play for the Sabres. It's not be like, oh, I just got traded to Buffalo. Like, (laughs) people go to die. Like, imagine that. That's probably what, you know, people are thinking. And that's why Jack Eichel wants to get out of of Buffalo. And that's why Eric Carlson wants to get out of San Jose. He's like, I didn't come here to die. I came here to win a cup, not be part of the rebuild.
0: Okay, but... Carlson like I, I think he was a really good defenseman and I think well, he's he a good with.
1: defenseman he's a terrible defenseman He he's like a fourth forward
0: well but I mean <laughs> as far as like he won the Norris so he had to have some defensive chops and I feel like that's kind of the way that the NHL is shifting at this point where all of your defensemen are forward-minded um and so his offensive numbers, I think, are what got him that. But I think that that also, you know, best defense is a good offense. Yeah. But he's also slower now in San Jose. Like, I just feel like he's, he's not able to do the things that he was able to do in Ottawa. And San Jose picked him up and paid him $11 million. And I'm sure they're also kind of regretting that, that amount.
1: That's why, these, that's why there needs to be shorter contracts and for shorter money across all the sports what did what did that guy on san diego make didn't he make like a like like 600 million dollars or something crazy like that for a 20-year yeah. contract
2: how no it's it's barry it's um bobby bonilla with the mets who's going to be paid till 2030 and how about Kovalchuk? it's the i'll take responsibility being the new yorker for both uh,
4: Kovalchuk, yeah 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 <laughs> they
3: they're, yeah, they're still paying his contract. That, that's right. I remember it was like an eighteen year contract or something like that,
2: yep, it was and, crazy,
3: yeah <clears throat> well,
2: um, I think uh, there was a lawsuit. I think there was I don't know what the end of the lawsuit was. I know there's a lawsuit about it because they stay sued because he because he voluntarily he he breached contract and went back to Russia
3: yeah the well, well first off, um we got a kick out of this and it's, it's perfectly timely for this call. Um, Anthony mentions all the bad press that comes out every time the Sabres lose a game. Well, this, uh, some sports writer in, in Buffalo uh, came up with a, their power rankings and the Kraken are higher in the power rankings than the Sabres. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. This guy's like, this is, Oh, the power rankings always have the team and then like a one sentence explanation for why the team is where it is in the power rankings. And uh and Buffalo's was I mean they were last on the list of course. And Buffalo's was, you know, something like this circus act is so bad it's worse than a team that hasn't yet hit the ice <laughs> and so it we, we gotta we gotta kick out of that the it's, it's so rough.
1: Crack. Like it it's so yeah. hard to watch and like that's my second favorite team. Like it's because of their announcer, Rick Charnett, like listening to him, even though he's like 100 years old right now, like listening to him, call the games and get so excited. Like it makes me so happy and yeah. happy as a kid, you know, listening to him scream population. Pominville is just increased by one and just shenanigans but they're so rough to watch now. It's just like, oh you know, they got scored on again. <laughs> it's just like you don't want to hear some <laughs> like old man in his last years like <laughs> like calling games for the worst team in the league, like it's so bad. <laughs> yeah. So well okay. Oh, oh,
3: that's
0: fine. Uh, so I guess the last thing that I wanted to talk about um in, since you did bring it up as well, the Kraken are coming this this summer. They're doing their expansion draft. Do you think that teams are going, and I guess this is, we can go around or or whoever wants to answer. Um, do you think that teams are going to be smarter about the players that they leave open after the way that the Golden Knights kind of ran rampant through the league? Or do you think that there's not really much they can can do to stop something like that?
1: Yeah yes and no i feel like um they're gonna everyone is so good in the nhl now and if you're able to literally hand pick your team like just it like it, it's a childhood dream you know they make video games about it like picking your own team and what you have to put 3 people or 4 people on that list
0: you can protect I, I... I'm not sure exactly, but it's a certain number of you, – you do it one of two ways. You either protect a certain number of forwards and defensemen or you protect a number of players.
2: All right, so the way I remember it and the way I reasoned it when, when Las Vegas ran rampant through everybody, as you put it, was really that way is because it was – whatever it was, you were getting a second-line player so you could only protect like nine players in a goalie whatever way it was so you they so Las Vegas had a team full of second liners it was the worst player on your second of everybody's second line but it was still second liners or per se whether they were younger and coming up or older and going down it they were basically second liners
4: yeah
3: when 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 you when you uh, have an inaugural season, you've never even played a period of hockey, and the guy standing in your net has won a couple Stanley Cups before you've even dropped the puck. Right off the top, you're 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 doing better than others,
4: and so oh, absolutely,
3: you know. And so, so it's 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 an interesting topic because because I agree with everything that's been said so far. Where the answer to, the, to your question, Drew, is is it's a little bit of yes and no. You know, will it happen the way the Golden Knights shook out? Yeah, it's unavoidable because the the comment that was just made about everyone on the Golden Knights at that time was pretty much just like the best or second-line player or one of the best second-line players. So, um, you know, the access to talent is just so much higher that, of course, the team will be good. But then the, you know, the the cautionary tale, you know, the, the NHL like the NHL is a weird kind of entity because the cautionary tale is you don't want it to be the way it was. <laughs> Hi Leo. Um, like the two and a half year old just walked in. So it took 20 years for recent expansion teams, the Nashville Predators and the Columbus Blue Jackets, you know, the hardest working team in the federal league, the Blue Jackets. Uh, it took 20 years for those guys to make the playoffs and so it's like there's something to you know with something like the NHL where the NHL is obviously one of the big 4 in terms of the professional sports leagues but it's also the one that's a little more club like than you know it's its fan base is, is expanding but it's it's a little slower of an expansion than you'd see with football and so so it's like the NHL wants teams the NHL wants teams that are going to be be competitive right away because what happens when the predators and the columbus blue jackets aren't competitive for 20 years even though those teams are even though those teams are are competitive now and still in the locations that they were expanded into those are two teams that were on the chopping block for expansion you know atlanta obviously same thing and they they got moved and so um so so I think that the Kraken will be, it, it'll be like a Golden Knight light type team where, of course, the, the other, you know, the other you know, 31 teams aren't going to make the same, you know, kind of quote unquote mistake with respect to making all these players available to, uh, to the expansion team. But at the same time, I don't think the NHL is going to allow the team to have a roster of, you know, D-level players because that's not what the NHL wants, especially – out here in the West where this is the part of the map in terms of, in terms of teams, obviously, this is the part of the, of the, of North America that they really need to fill in with more teams. And so they don't want a hole in, um, you know, in, in, in the, in the, in the Western half of the country where it's like, Oh, there's these great hockey markets, except there are these terrible hockey markets as well as well. They don't, they don't want that. And plus there's a lot of money on the line. You know what I mean? Like whatever it is, they put $500 million or something like that into the, into the, into the crack house, better known as climate pledge arena. And, um, they, uh, not going to let that go. You know what I mean? They're not going to let that go to waste. They, they want, they want the ownership group wants to return on the investment. So is the NHL because everyone had to put a lot of money.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, well, as you can tell, we, uh, start talking hockey and just keep going so we have our segment of three periods with and today of course is three periods with mark defloria so josh is gonna lead us off and then escape into the night and uh then we'll get to know you a little bit better josh it's all you
2: hey mark uh i i really want to know this is what really interests me is is basically how did you come to find blind hockey um, growing up, what were you, what was your interest in sports, and obviously with your eyesight, what led you to basically find this sport that not many of us have found, but we've all found a way to find hockey. So please, I'd love to hear.
4: Sure.
3: Um.
2: Well, I think the important
3: piece to know for the story is I wasn't born visually impaired, and I don't have a degenerative eye condition. Um, I had a fluke medical, uh, thing happen to me, which damaged my optic nerves. And that's what left me visually impaired. And so I was playing sighted hockey until, I mean, I played sighted hockey my entire life until I got sick, had a blood issue, had a nerve problem and lost my vision. And so, so my journey to blind hockey, uh, has been through, a pretty much a lifetime of sighted hockey, and so um, you know, I grew up in Illinois, and so there's hockey everywhere, obviously, and so um, I scored my first ever goal at Center Ice, which is fantastic because Anthony works there now, and and every time he looks at the ice, he thinks about Mark scoring his first goal, and uh, so <laughs> just uh, absolutely, yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, but no, I mean, just grew up, you know, grew up around the sport. You know, my, uh, my dad plays hockey and my uncles played hockey. It was just, it was, it was the sport that we played. I never played any other structured sport uh, growing up. Still to this day, I've never played another structured sport other than, other than hockey. And so just, uh, you know, street hockey when i was younger learned to skate and then put the street hockey and the skating together and uh started started playing when i was you know, whatever 10 i wasn't i was never a mite i i i got on a team and i was a squirt so whatever and they, they're not called that anymore they're called something else 10 u 8 us whatever and uh so i got started you know when i was 10 11 years old, or whatever it was, and then played in Illinois until we moved to Seattle. And then we moved out to Seattle. I started playing at a higher level. Um, played you know, BAM Triple A every year out here, played you know, midget Triple A, played junior B, I think it was, for a, year, a little less than a year. And I got hurt, and um, and then uh. And then college and then, you know, hockey was just, you know, beer league type stuff. And so <clears throat> when I got sick and then subsequently lost my vision, it was 10 years from that moment. That was 2007. And then it was 2017. It was actually, it was my 35th birthday. It was the first time I ever uh, played blind hockey. And I'd, uh, I'd. I, I was it was actually my mom who you know ho- hockey moms are are i mean that's a that's a podcast that we should definitely have is just the hockey moms of not only the blind hockey community but any of them there's that there's just so many wonderful stories to tell and i'm married i'm married to a hockey mom now and so there's just great stories to tell but um my mom was really like, you know, we're so close to Canada up here in Seattle. So there has to be some sort of blind hockey in Canada. And that's how I got connected with Matt Morrow. And so Matt lives in Vancouver, which is, you know, just a couple hours away from Seattle. And so, so my mom actually initiated a conversation on my behalf because I was honestly, I, w- I was very down on sports because I, I know people professionally who um, are visually impaired, like at the lighthouse for the blind. And they were trying to get me to come out for some of their adaptive sport. And quite honestly, nothing about it appealed to me because they were just these, you know, repackaged, you know, sighted sports repackaged in such a way that uh, I really didn't feel like, I, I didn't really feel like it would be a good experience. Just like, um, they didn't, they didn't, I don't want to say embrace, that's the wrong word to put it, but it was just like, you know, they were like, Hey, you're, you're blind. Come play this blind sport. And I just, I just didn't identify with the sports and I didn't identify, not that I didn't identify with being visually impaired, but I, I had difficulty defining myself by it. And so, um, so I was resistant to the idea of blind hockey, thinking that it was going to be just as kind of repackaged and not at all like. Sighted hockey, and so that's why I pushed back, and that's why my mom took the lead for me, and was just like, "Well, I'm going to do this for you," and I'm like, "Okay, well, whatever." Uh, she reached out to Matt. It took about a year, ish, of communication with Matt to basically get to the point where I had the the time in my schedule to come up to Canada, and it was, like I said, it was my 35th birthday, and and went up and uh, skated with the with the Vancouver eclipse there um, for, uh, you know, for the first time ever playing blind hockey. So it was my first time in 10, 11 years, putting a Jersey on, putting all the gear on first time in all those years uh, playing on a, on a team, playing a game. It was my first time wearing a cage (laughs) with, with my vision loss. So, so that was a different experience. And, uh, and it was obviously my first experience with the blind puck, which, um, was, it was a nightmare. <laughs> it was, it was horrendous. And so, um, you know, but it was obviously it, it, I remember being in the room with, with just these people, just these regular guys, you know, one guy was worried about losing his job because he was an electrician and he was losing the ability to tell the difference between the red wires and the black wire, which is important. And you know, and then you had you know guys like you know Johnny T and Graham who are just you know they're they're loud, uh, you know, passionate fans of the game and players of the game, and they're welcoming and they're friendly. And I remember sitting in the room going, "These are just regular people. These are regular people who happen to be blind or visually impaired and play hockey." And I, I, I was blown away by like the fact that there were people like this out there like because I, I i just didn't know and at this point blind hockey had barely come to the united states it, it was it was so not in the united states i had to go to canada to play it and so um it was right around that time that matt was like oh you know uh, they're you know they're gonna put together a u.s national team you should you know up for it and i remember laughing to myself because i'm like yeah right dude we're you know get your eyes checked did you see how bad
2: i just did
3: out there at uh at this and obviously um i think it was that was in december of 2017 and then it was in april of 2018 that uh or March or April, whenever that was when they had disabled festival and they announced the team and all that other stuff, April. And so in five months, uh, I went from my first ever blind hockey game to being named to the national team. And so, um, that was very unexpected. And, um, and so I, and, and obviously since then, you know, as we've, Settled into veteran status on this team, um, you know, becoming professional blind athletes is is what is what we've been working on. Becoming masters of our craft, which is which is blind hockey, because the game is obviously uh, has its has its quirks, has its nuances, and so mastering the craft of playing the game of blind hockey, which as everyone on the call here and and the majority of the audience listening knows, there are there are dead ringer similarities between blind hockey and sighted hockey, and then there's there's things that you need to unlearn, and then there's things that you just have to do differently or there's things that you have to you know change your thinking about. and so um, so i i i'm I enjoy where I am today in blind hockey because I think I'm just getting better and better and better at it. but I always remember that I would have I would have none of it if not for number one the persistence of Matt Morrow, but number two just the the unbelievable friendliness and welcoming nature of the guys up in in Vancouver. I mean, you know, obviously Anthony Anthony's skated with them out here in Seattle with me. You know, they they all came to Minnesota um, last year. I mean, these are these are people who they. It's, it's a genuine, it's a genuine, uh, commitment that they have, you know, regardless of wherever you're from, if you're a visually impaired person, and you want to play hockey, they're willing to, they'll do whatever it takes. And so that's, you know, that's pretty special, but, uh, but yeah, I came to blind hockey through, through Canada. So, <laughs> and, and, and you know, all the rest is history.
0: Gotcha. <clears throat> and can you tell us a little bit about your vision? Like what, what don't you see? What do you see?
3: Sure. Um, my I had a depleted blood supply to my optic nerves. And so my optic nerves, there's just atrophy in, in a couple of places. And so my vision loss manifests itself very similarly to uh, Stargardt's and um, macular degeneration, where I have a center vision and, and, and Libra's, where I have a center vision blind spot. And so... Um, so I have a, like a fuzzy center vision blind spot, which obstructs my retinas. And so, uh, you know, I can't read without magnification and, and stuff like that. And then my peripheral is pretty open. Um, I don't use a cane. I probably should, but, um, but my peripheral is, is open enough that I don't run into things and, you know, stuff like that. But, uh, but the peripheral is just kind of a little fuzzy but the but the most fuzziness is right in the center
0: okay and does that make you a b3 or b2 yeah
3: yeah b3? i i was i i i've actually been both <laughs> and so you know but the, no i'm i'm currently a b3
0: okay and so that would put you usually on offense which I, I believe that's what you play for team usa correct
3: uh more so now i used to play both of forward and defense, but uh, but now I'd say probably about eighty percent of the time I play forward.
0: Okay. Do you have a preference? Do you prefer defense? Do you like offense more?
3: I actually I really prefer defense. That that's what I that's what I played the the most formative years of my hockey playing career. I played defense, and and now that my vision, um, now that my vision is is you know way worse than it ever was at any other time in my life i find that if i can keep the game in front of me it i'm that much more effective and especially if you're playing defense where of course you have to be responsible for for everything but again if you can compartmentalize your responsibility to your kind of quadrant of the ice it it again just just You know, not in a, not in a, you're trying to advocate responsibility sort of way, but just in the mechanics of hockey sort of way, combined with vision loss, if you can simplify the amount of ice that you have to be responsible for, it'll make you that much more effective. And so I honestly thought I was a B3 when we first went to camp. And then I started chasing Anthony around the ice and I'm like, you mind, I'm definitely a B2. (laughs) And so, um, so because i am definitely right on that line the b2 b3 line and so i really enjoy defense because i can keep everything like i said i can keep everything in front of me i can make quicker plays that are more situational as opposed to uh as opposed to uh manufacturing a play like i can i can do things and get the puck out of the zone and that not supports the way my vision works because i uh I, I can't always um, I, I have a the most screwy thing with my vision is independent of the blind spot. I have a depth perception issue, and so I can't always gauge how quickly people are moving diagonally, so um, so in an offensive setting where there's uh you know where there's a lot of motion. Of a lot of different players and you have to kind of pick up that someone's on your left and they're moving to your right and you're going to try to pass to them. I don't always process the speed, which, which that's happening, uh, accurately. And so again, just, uh, um, playing defense where I can just kind of make, you know, make simpler plays is always something that I, uh, enjoy. So, and old habits die hard. Uh, you could be a little more physical playing defense and, and that's the hard part. I'm still learning how to not take the body. So <laughs> yeah,
0: it's yeah, kind of,
3: it's been a while. It's been a while since we had to, you know, you weren't allowed to do that.
0: Well, and that's, so that, I guess that will bring me to my next question. Um, so I, I was there at the Hendrickson festival playing on the other team. Uh, yeah. I was also out in Minnesota for the blind hockey summit, which is now the hockey classic. Um, and and through a couple of years playing in blind hockey, one of the things I've noticed about defensemen um is that usually I, I i'm I'm going to account it to the lower vision um but a lot of times it seems like the direct play is to just wrap the puck around the boards um do you how do you how do you teach someone that may not be able to how how do we Sorry, I'm trying to figure out the best way to to word this. Um, how do we teach a visually impaired person that may not be able to see a wing, you know, at the half board or at the point? How do we teach them to be comfortable enough to take the extra time to listen for a stick tap or to to try and make that first pass? Because I, I feel like that's a lot of the the where the offense gets slowed down is that there's no there's not always a good breakout play that occurs. So it ends up being a scramble at the blue line to you know pick up the puck. And then usually it's the fastest guy gets the puck and then he's off in the other zone by himself. So having played played sighted and blind, how do we make the game and blind hockey flow a little bit more like regular hockey in your opinion?
3: Well, the first thing, the first thing has nothing to do with, with vision um it uh you can't have a you can't have a breakout you can't have a breakout that requires two passes to get over the blue line that's the first problem so it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if it's a b4 playing defense or a b1 if it takes two passes to get out of the zone you're up the creek so i would say that you know you know the game's always in motion that's that's the beautiful elegant part about the game of hockey is that it's always moving and so what i would say is the encouragement that i would give the defenseman is the same thing that i would say to the defense or excuse me the same thing i'd say to the to the wingers get on the boards if you're if you're a winger get on the hash marks get on the boards like you're going for a breakout but when that defenseman's moving towards you you're moving too and you're going up up the ice so then, what you can teach is so that's the specific. But then, what you can teach is the general, which is, hey, defenseman. Make you know, listen for the listen for the pass, or excuse me, listen for the 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 um uh you know, the player to call out you know for the pass or to tap their stick or whatever it is. But then, do two things when you send the puck towards that sound. Do two things: send it hard and to the extent you can perceive it send it up ice and so what i mean by that is that if you're going to miss a pass miss it hard and miss it up ice so that worst-case scenario if you miss the pass it will get up to the blue line and if it misses the winger he's got it's in front of him then and he'll be able to make a play on it to just poke it out of the zone or or maybe catch it and the defenseman's uh flat-footed or the defenseman's not yet the blue line or whatever the case may be and so so you're you're able to clear the zone even if you miss the pass even or even if the pass doesn't go tape to tape from the defenseman up to the winger so so the thing that i would encourage the defenseman to do is is to make a pass make it hard make it up ice you know and And tell the wingers to be moving, to be in motion, to call for it while they're in stride. Because even if you if you hit them on the tape, everyone's going to be impressed. Because wow, look at that! A blind guy made a perfect pass to another blind guy, and he received it. Everyone's going to be blown away by that. But then, if you miss it, you're in motion. You have the momentum headed in the right direction, which is out of the zone. And hopefully, if the puck passes you, you're able to pick it up in your vision. As the winger, you pick it up in your vision, and then you're able to poke it out of the zone and, and, and go about your attack. And so, so I think that the, you know, hockey, unlike other sports, I mean, hockey, you are complete. And Anthony, Anthony knows this just as well as I do. You know, hockey, you're completely intertwined with the other four guys on the ice. Hockey's a systems game. And so what you do is irrelevant because it's completely related to what one or two or three other guys are doing. And so, so my advice to the defenseman, like I said, is, is equal advice for the wingers, because the wingers have to do something too. It's not just stand there and make a lot of noise. It's you got to be ready to receive that pass. You have to read where the defenseman is going with respect to their, their skating. And you have to give your team, you have to give the other three guys on the ice. You have to give the team the opportunity to get out of the zone as easily as possible, because making two passes before the blue line isn't 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 the way to do it.
4: So, so that that's what I got.
0: All right, I mean I can get with it. <laughs> I I play defense all through high school. I play defense and center through high school yeah. and deer league. So I, yeah. I I really dig playing defense and and blind hockey too although the puck is a little scarier. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I think that that's, you know, I think that it, it is obvious that you've played the game, um, and I think that that's definitely a, a boon to the team um, to have guys like you and Tony and uh, I believe Tim Kane and, and anyone else that's played sighted or organized hockey before. I think that your kind of knowledge of the game game pre vision loss definitely it helps and the guys on your team too with you just your knowledge of of how it flows and you know where you should be um do you with team usa do you find that as an older guy that you've kind of taken on this mentor position and and kind of tried to pass along your your hockey sense i think that
4: um I think that as as an older
3: person, um, I always say that it takes a lot for me to get over my skis. And and the cornerstone of that is what my whole my whole experience with going through my vision loss was treacherous. I, I almost died a very young man a couple times going through what I was going through because it was a I basically had a blood clotting syndrome. That only got worse and worse and worse, and so, um, so I think that part of it is in terms of the mentorship. It's it's less about I mean, hockey is obviously important, but it's it's about everything else with respect to this team. It's about having the maturity to to accept the honor of playing on it. It's about having the character to play on it. It's about having the confidence to not only represent yourself but but the country and and also the the humility to be the leader within a community that you you don't want to alienate and so so you know anthony is someone who i've inv- you know anthony i'm never going to invest any hockey knowledge in anthony 'Cause he knows he knows everything and he's right about virtually all of it. But, you know, he'd admit he needs a little a little Anthony work, a little looking in the mirror work. And so and I'm we are we are <laughs> we are direct with each other about it. We are we are friendly, but also, you know, we have this this brotherly love amongst us where it's like I look out for Anthony to make sure that he's the best version of himself because the hockey part will take care of itself with Anthony. There's other, there's other stuff that he needs an older brother to help him to become the best version of himself consistently. And there's other guys on the team, you know, like like Luke, Luke Miller is a perfect example. Luke's ceiling is undefined because he's so talented as a hockey player, but he he needs to learn the game he needs to learn the nuances of the game and that comes with time and that comes with mentoring from a player like me or a player like Anthony but no one needs to tell luke how to be a man no one needs to tell luke how to be you know a, a gentleman and a, and a citizen and a, and a, you know, one day a husband and one day a father like he's he's got that down right he he his family and his his upbringing he has he has the off ice stuff down with respect to the type of man that he's going to be and so i do see my role with well, my my role on the team with respect to my my age and my mentorship um i i've accomplished and achieved a lot of what you know some of the younger guys are are hoping to achieve i mean i have I have a wife. I have two kids. Um, you know I, I I play competitively. I have a business, and so I see this the mentorship aspect of, you know it might start with hockey, but it certainly doesn't stop with hockey because you know this uh, there's a lot more to it than just you know the x's and o's and stuff like that. it's it's how do you you know how do you carry yourself um, you know with respect to the to the honor of being on this team, because, you know, the, the interesting part about this team, I've mentioned this before. The interesting part about this team is that we're not only driving the bus, we're building the road at the same time. And so, so your who you are off the ice is just as important as who you are when you're on the ice and it has nothing to do with your experience level. This has to do with, you know, willingness to learn and your capacity to kind of get it. You know what I mean?
0: Absolutely. I think that's a great answer, um, and I think it's a great segue because uh, I'm going to pass it over to Tony, and uh, you guys. are I think he's going to ask you a little bit more about the national team. But uh, thanks for for sharing, and um, yeah, Tony, you're up, man.
1: Hey, thanks for saying all those kind things, Mark, and you know, I over the past couple years of getting to know you, and you and your family have done a lot for me. And I do look up to you like a brother and, you know, I wouldn't have been able to graduate college if it wasn't for you. Well, um, I, I, I appreciate, I appreciate you saying
3: I, you would have made it, you would have made it eventually, but, but I, I appreciate what you're saying.
1: Well, you helped me with the internship and that was a, a big part of, you know, the, the graduation process Sure, and you know that was an amazing experience. Uh, you put together a team called the S- Seattle Insights, and you know you asked me if there's any, like if I could come up there and help. Leo, Leo, a great yeah, thing.
3: Right. So if you hear, if you, yeah, no, sorry, Leo's talking again. But
4: hi, Leo.
3: Um, no, for sure. You know, you, I, I told you this the other day. Um, I told you this the other day that like we had you know one tried event we had you know a couple skates or whatever it was three four skates with the with the uh, blind group and that was what two summers ago now it'll be two summers. I mean, dude, people people are still talking. I mean, you were here two summers ago, and people still talk about you like they just saw you yesterday. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And so it's just like only people who have an extraordinary impact on others are that way. And so uh, we, you know, we couldn't have gotten a program off the ground, you know, without your help, but more than anything, we couldn't have gotten it off the ground without, you know, your your commitment to the sport and your commitment to the people, because the people are what make it and the people are still talking about it, you know? And so Uh you like, you like, you know, I don't know, locked them in just, just by being you, you know, And so um, so I'm very appreciative of the fact that uh, you were our summer intern and that we were able to uh, able to really do some good things that summer.
1: Yeah, that was a, that was an incredible time. And I, I'm very thankful that I've had the opportunity to, to do that because I, I still cherish all those memories. Yeah, me too. I, I do, too but I still, I feel really bad because at that point I did not have my sleep, uh, my sleep mask.
3: Oh, no. Yeah, no. And, uh, it, you know, we, uh, we were mad at the, uh, at the person that inspected our house because they should have told us just how little insulation there was between the walls. And so, but, uh, no, that, that's, all, that's all right. You know, we, we've all, we've all recovered from, uh, you know, from the, uh, from the damage to our hearing that you caused, so
1: <laughs> so <laughs> I saw a picture the other day uh-huh. uh, on Facebook on your wife's Facebook uh, so you you got two boys they're named Rocco and Leo, and one of them is now a hockey player as a mm-hmm. father. how does that make you feel,
4: man? um
3: I. You know, I'm I'm glad that you asked that question because it actually gets back a little bit to to blind hockey in general, where I was out of the game for for ten years, and you know, just it wasn't a part of my life. And, hi, Leo, you're back. You're you're not the one who plays hockey yet. Yeah. So, um, and I remember the first time I was on the ice with. Wait. You're gonna wait. Okay. I remember the first time I was on the ice. This is, you yeah, know, whatever, three years now ago now. The first time I was on the ice with mommy. me. I hear mommy. You hear mommy? Huh? You want to go talk to mommy? Okay. First time I was on the ice with yeah. me,
1: Rocco, yeah. and my dad.
3: With three generations all on the ice. And, and I can't remember at that point if... I don't think we'd had training camp yet that first year. So somewhere in that, like, April to August time frame. And, um... And I remember being so thankful to blind hockey in this moment and so thankful to, to the team for, for inviting me to be a part of it because I wouldn't have had that moment of three generations on the ice. Or I, maybe I would have, but I wouldn't have had the significance of it where it's like my dad still plays. I was playing again and, and Rocco was just getting started. It wasn't like, Oh, this is some hobby that we all do. It was like, this is life. You know, this is, this is what we do. And so, so getting Rocco geared up at home over the weekend, um, you know, he, he gets, you know, he gets his shoulder pads on and he's looking the part, you know? And, uh, and it was, it was an extraordinary kind of culmination of, of uh, you know, of of a moment that I I knew I was going to have, where I, I knew that if I had a son or even a daughter, of course, but if I we had a son or a daughter, they would play hockey. I knew that, but I never knew that I was going to share in the experience, the way the way that I am now. And so that's the part that is really just pretty extraordinary. I mean, you know, my dad, Rocco and I were going to the rink tomorrow and, and we're going to, you know, we're going to skate and we're going to, we're going to try to help Rocco get a little better on his skates. And, and I'm going to do some of my blind hockey drills and stuff like that. And so it's just this, like I'm able to enjoy it at a level that I was frankly, not sure I was ever going to get to. And so, um it uh it, it was a pretty it was an incredibly powerful moment because um because it was almost like uh you know my dad my dad is 65 years old and my dad and I still skate together and so this was this moment this past weekend where it's like when I'm 65 Rocco and I are still going to be skating together and so it's just this incredible you know continuation that uh that it was it was it was great and so um and he's got the he's got the lettuce coming out the back of the helmet so um he just looks he looks fantastic <laughs> the whole the whole thing he looks fantastic
1: yeah his hockey hair is incredible
3: oh it's great it's it's you know it's, i mean just like kind of like you 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 look you become a different animal when you get your your helmet on with the with the visor and stuff like that. Like you oh, look the part of co- that, you know.
1: It's a completely um, different animal when I have the visor on. Oh yeah, you when I don't.
3: Oh yeah, and so so that's the thing is like you you look like you know you look like Anthony Chezaro when you have the helmet and the visor on, and so like Rocco just he looks like. Rocco the hockey player when he just has his helmet on like he doesn't do anything else on like but he's got the helmet he's got the hair you know overgrowing out of the back it's just it's perfect it looks mm-hmm. the way
4: it's supposed to look
1: <laughs> yeah uh, you know and you got a second son Leo and he just had surgery uh, what two weeks ago Yeah, it was, yeah it was two weeks ago yesterday and uh, how's he recovering from that
3: uh he's he's recovering unbelievably well and uh you, you at times you would not know that he had surgery and so he's just wow he's, you know
4: he's um he
3: uh he's he's just so strong you know this is his third major surgery and uh, he's two and a half years old. and so um he's uh, you know his little body has been through a lot. and so um, is uh, you know his his grit is really pretty phenomenal. but um you know he uh, you know he's kind of like he's kind of like some of us with you know with our vision loss and stuff like that, where even though he doesn't really understand obviously what's going on. Um, he he's not going to let anything stop him. You know what I mean. And so that's you know it's certainly how some of us operate, where it's just like you know nothing's nothing's going to stop us. It is what it is. You know what I mean. We're just going to work through it. So um, so he's uh, he's he's doing well. So it'll be another another couple weeks of of uh just trying to keep him. I mean, the recovery technically is two months but another couple of weeks of really trying to keep his activity level down. And, um, and yeah, I mean, you, you know, uh, it was, it was, it was bad. The, the, excuse me, the surgery, the surgery went fine. Recovery um, post-op was not, was not good. It it, he, it was tough. <clears throat> it was tough sledding for, uh, for a couple days, but um, he, uh, you know, he just started to, Kicked the crap out of it, and um, you know he's he's doing well. So it all all goes according to plan. This this is it. He should be done with these corrective surgeries that uh, were all kind of uh, um, procedures that he needed after after being born. So he'll he'll be done. He'll be done. He'll be done with all this stuff, and so he can just start living his life.
4: That's amazing. Uh, Good. Yeah. uh,
1: You know, surgeries are tough, and I've had a few of them, but I'm thankful, you know, he's young enough to where this may be something that he won't necessarily remember. Yeah, he shouldn't.
4: Yeah, he
3: shouldn't remember it, yeah.
1: But I still imagine it's hard seeing your son you know, as a, as a father, seeing your son in pain and, and, you know.
3: Yeah. uh, As, you know, excuse me, as Chrissy can tell you, I mean, the, um, the uncertainty that I had about him going through the surgery was just that. I'm like, he doesn't understand. We're going to, we're going to subject him to this incredibly invasive, long procedure. Uh where they're moving a bunch of stuff around and taking out parts of his bladder and all this other stuff. We're gonna subject him to that. And we're not gonna be able to explain to him why. He's not gonna be able to understand why. And so so the thought of of voluntarily making him in pain was was hard. And 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 you're right about um, you know, the the logical part of your brain knows that a, a procedure like this needs to be done but but the parent part of your brain is like this is ridiculous <laughs> you know what I mean like yeah. why why are we doing this and so so no it was hard it was it was it was hard it, it was really hard and and like I said this is uh <clears throat> this was his third major surgery, and so i uh i so, you know Christy too. You know, you know, Leo's mom and dad have seen him through hell and we've seen it on his face. We've seen the, the, the pain and the frustration and the confusion, you know, the, on his face as to why his body wasn't working the way he was expecting it to work. And yeah. so we're, we're thrilled, you know, that he's kind of coming out of it. You know what I mean? And so, so we're, we're feeling very, very, very fortunate. Um that he's he's doing so well. So
1: Good. That's amazing to hear. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. So to change that. the tide a little bit, I mean, what's, what's it mean to you to be a part of the Team USA?
3: Well, I thought you were going to ask about the dog, if so. Oh, no, no I can't. <laughs> Make me sad. I know. I, I tell you, if he could talk, he he would he would be like, "Can I go live with Anthony?" So I mean,
1: I'm 100 yeah. for that.
4: <laughs> um, let's see. Well, um, I
3: it, it's 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 no joke, and it's not it's not a it's not a story that I came up with after the fact. Uh, when Matt Morrow first said to me, "Well, yeah, they're going to put together a national team, and maybe one day you know you could try out for it. it," it was comical. The thought was absolutely comical to me because I pictured, in my mind, I pictured uh, you know an, an NHL team level of skill playing the game, something that I would I would never ever 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 come close to in terms of skill level, and. And then I got the letter, of like congratulations, you've been invited to try out. And I'm like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> and so, um, and then obviously, uh, obviously being you know named to the team, the fact that they did it in alphabetical order was nice because it meant that there was a little less, uh, a little less uh, anxiety.
4: Mm. Um, but, uh, but I.
3: What I went through with respect to um, the the medical stuff that left me visually impaired, I've often wondered why it didn't kill me, and I've often wondered why, tragically, similar things happened to other people and it killed them. And so it wasn't like I was just, oh, oh, this doesn't kill anybody. It does. It It is treacherous. It was a, it was a treacherous thing that I went through. And I find myself wondering, why? Why was I visually impaired? Why was I made to be visually impaired when I did not have, it wasn't in the cards. I had perfect 2020 vision. didn't wear glasses. Perfect 2020 vision. And, And I asked myself that question within the context of this hockey team, and I think that part of the answer is I didn't die, and I lost my vision to help create this team. That was part of the reason because because
4: the you know I never thought
3: even even all my uncertainty when Matt was like talking about a a national team and even all the uncertainty about you know a tryout and all this other stuff I'm like coach Mike I go I haven't called anybody coach in 15 years this is ridiculous you know what I mean I remember his email he's like he signs his email coach Mike I'm like Holy crap! He's a coach. <laughs> like I haven't played for a coach in a really long time, and it's like, um, I, uh, I, I think about all that, and I say, you were blind. You were you. You know, Mark, you lost your vision because this team needed to be created, and it needs needed people who could get what it meant to be on the team who believed that they could be a part of this team and be a part of this organization and build the road and drive the bus at the same time and, and invest in people on the ice and off the ice and be, you know, a leader of, of, you know, young people who are finding their way, not only through life, but through vision loss and through playing a, a very competitive sport. And so, so being on this team, um. What it means to me is, is it feels, it feels perfectly right. It feels like this is exactly where I'm supposed to be because the journey that I was on, um, I didn't know why until I got to this point. And it was like, oh, that's what it was for. It was, it was to get to this moment. And so, um, you know, I'm, <clears throat> I'm humbled by the experience. I am I am so unbelievably grateful for for the family that I have across this entire country, and then and obviously into Canada as well. Um, people who know what it's like to live the way I live, and then and I've always I've always taken a step back to say, you know, all the teams that we played on when we were kids and stuff like that. You know, you'd come to the rink, you'd play as a team, and then you'd go home. Right? Different obviously when you got older and juniors and all of other stuff. You're with your team all the time. But but it's like this is the only team where we live our life the same on and off the ice. We're a team on the ice, not just with the sweater on, but we're a team when we leave and we're a team when we go home to all the corners of this country. Because I go through the same blind guy frustrations as Anthony, as you know, Dirk. You know, I talked to Dirk today. And you know he's gonna have a baby really soon, and it's like we're you know we we're talking about talking about you know Leo's still in diapers, and I'm like talking to him about you know we're helping to refresh his memory about about changing diapers when you're visually impaired, you know. And so it's like we live our life the same way that it's like the the, the this team what it means to me is is not just the the three letters on the front, but it's the it's the it's the 15 stories the 15 lives where there's these, these people who um, who get it who who understand what it's like to live your life with this disability and you know that's the that's the long lasting residual of this of this experience is it's just you know you know, you know years from now not on the team I could still pick up the phone and, and call anyone we've skated with And it'll be it'll be picking right up where we left off because that's the type of connection that this group has.
1: You couldn't be more accurate with everything that you had just said. And, you know, it's, it's I have those same feelings, you know, finding you guys. I mean, you know, I was going through a pretty rough time trying to figure out who I was, what I was supposed to be doing with my life. And you know, I met you guys, and I, I finally figured out what I was supposed to be doing this whole entire time.
4: yeah it it it, it is
3: <clears throat> you you think of you think of any of the events, not 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 team USA events, but just any of the tried events that we've been to, or even obviously the events that you know we had out here in Seattle. <clears throat> excuse me. You think of like how how many people we've encountered who they've been waiting for this moment their entire life. They've oh, been I waiting. Know.
1: Who is the, who is the younger girl? Um, not Chloe, Chloe? not oh, Chloe. Han- she's, she's awesome though. Um, yeah. yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know, they, uh, you know,
3: I mean, those, those are two perfect examples of, of people that just, they you know there was this this incompleteness that they maybe couldn't define what specifically needed to go into it, but but they knew that something needed to and and so it was like automatic it was like flipping a light switch that for them it was it was blind hockey, it was the experience of playing the game it was the the, the camaraderie that was created between themselves and the other skaters, and it was again it was just that shared experience. It was that that people get it. you know the everyone on the ice gets it with respect to to uh, living with this disability and and kind of processing you know what it means on a daily basis and so, so I mean that's just it is it's like you know you and I, you know you and I found each other and we found this team, and that's helped us to help other people find the sport and that is you know that is incredibly
4: powerful stuff it's great stuff it really is And
1: you know my myself like uh, i'll be honest and i said this before i'm one major injury away from just saying i'm done i've put my body through a lot i've given my whole life to this game and it's changed me and it's given me relationships with people that can never ever ever be replaced i have amazing memories being uh, a member of any hockey team um and i want people to not be afraid if they're visually impaired or hearing impaired or have any type of disability to go out and try hockey there's something about this game that changes you. And, yeah. and If you're looking for something if you're in the Seattle area try it out when once this covid restrictions have are lifted try blind hockey. Thank you for letting
3: me have my rant. No, you're 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 100% correct and and the hockey is for everyone mantra, uh, the philosophy. It's it, it, it's not it's not exaggeration. You know what I mean? It is right. it is it is for everyone, and the most beautiful gift that the game can give is it can it can be adapted to. Um, I skate with older people right now because it, the game happens just fast enough where it's competitive for me, but it's just slow enough that I can see what's going on. And, uh, and it's just like, that's just it. And hockey's for everyone. That's what I need. That's what the game can give me. You know, and that's, that's cool.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm going to throw it back to Drew here because Drew uh, has a pretty good summary that we like to ask. At the end of every episode
0: yeah uh so so the big question we ask everyone at the end uh our goal is obviously the the paralympics um in 2026 or 2030 whenever it happens it's gonna happen um what do we need to do as a community and as uh individuals to ensure that blind hockey a keeps growing and b by the time we get to the olympics we Put on a good show we we show people that we can play this game
4: um well
3: i think i think the answer to i think the answer to both questions is the same which is we we have to just keep getting people on the ice we have to just keep growing the sport as much as possible just make the sport as make the point of entry as low as possible for for anybody so if you if if someone walks up one day to the rink right before your practice you just have a mechanism in place to get that person on the ice or if someone reaches out to you you have a tried event on your calendar so that you can invite them to that or if you have something like you know this event that's coming up in in chicago over the summer <clears throat> where you the, the 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 structured programs have the means for ice and for talent then then you can put together an event and we can kind of grow the sport the competitive nature of the sport outside of the, the festivals and the summit and stuff like that and so um so i think just it just comes down to making the sport as available to people as a uh, as it possibly can be um, because the, because the, the conundrum is uh, hockey is a commitment. You know, you have to go to the rink. You have to gear up. You have to invest time in the process of playing the game. You can't just drive down the street to, you know, to a park and, and play like that. That's not, that's not the, uh, that's not the rule. You know, that's definitely the exception. So, So the conundrum is it takes a lot of time to be able to play hockey. Well, blind people are, you know, a little short on time because everything takes us longer than it really should. And so, um, so that's where just making the sport as available as possible, as many opportunities as possible for people. Um, that's how we're going to continue to grow it. And by continuing to grow it, that's how we're going to be competitive once, uh, the Paralympics
0: come around. Nice. That's a that's a very succinct answer. Uh, so, where do you, do you do social media? Does Seattle have a, a page on Facebook, or where, where can our listeners find you guys
3: and, and you? Uh, yeah, both are. Excuse me. Both yeah, both are on Facebook. So the um, Seattle Blind Hockey Association is is on Facebook um you know i am as well mark deflorio uh obviously given my age uh i'm on linkedin as well which uh which for some of the uh some of the uh older listeners of the of the group might be a good place to find me but i'm also on linkedin but um yeah our contact information uh for seattle blind hockey is available on on the uh, on the facebook page it's also just uh Seattle blind at gmail.com and um, you know we're we'll be much more active here in the next couple weeks. Actually, we have a uh, uh, we are pretty close to a recurring weekly ice time at the Kraken's practice facility, and so um, so that's going to be pretty sweet. And so um, so not only will we be get, getting back on the ice here. Uh, this summer, but uh it's gonna be it's gonna be at the Kraken practice facility. So so that's gonna be it's gonna be a good that's gonna be a nice carrot to uh to Dangle to get some new people out there and, and you know like I was just saying to grow the sport. You know, come try it come try it out. And oh by the way we're at the new Kraken facility. So you know come take a look.
0: That's awesome. Uh, are you guys are you guys hoping that the Kraken will will bite and, and help you out with a blind team?
4: Uh so
3: the uh just, this isn't this isn't being arrogant, this is just true. We were here before the Kraken. And so um I have a really good relationship with the hockey community here in Seattle. And so when the when the NHL team was was getting announced and, and crafted, um we we were kind of close to some of the decision makers. Um in the in the seattle hockey community that were that were contributing to to the to the structure of the nhl team and so so we've actually been pretty close with them i mean they did a uh you know my family were season ticket holders and so the kraken did a a video on me um like a how we play hockey Video, and so you know, I'm talking all about blind hockey and stuff like that. and And so, ever since then, they've had they the the organization has had a genuine interest in in the sport. They were going to send a crew um, to Vegas last year for the for the uh, world championship, um, you know because it was it was this you know high profile blind hockey event, and the Kraken wanted to see what it was all about. and so, They, uh, they're they're a group that we've kept the dialogue going uh, over the past few months. Um, Actually, had the the extreme honor of of meeting Ron Francis at a private event, which was pretty extraordinary because I'm I'm you know bsing with a a hockey Hall of Famer who's second all time in assists, you know twenty seventh all time in points. I think he's got two Stanley Cups, and they're just like, oh, you know. How's it going Ron? You know, just 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 talking to them and uh and they're uh they're committed to to us and therefore by committed to blind hockey. And so they have bitten. They offered us the time, the weekly time. And so uh you know, we're going to we're going to take it. And so I'm uh I'm really excited about the you know, about not just the opportunity to have a relationship with them, but to you know, kind of be to be in a place to use the the prestige of the ice that we'll be playing on to help us grow the sport. You know, to again just have it be the uh, you know a, an incentive to have people to have people come out. And so, because um, I think, I mean, we we see it here in Seattle. I mean, people are just regular people are walking around with their crack and stuff on. They are, they are so fired up. And I, every time I see just a, a, a person, just a regular person walk by with a hat or a jacket on or something, I think to myself, I go, there's absolutely a visually impaired person out there who wants to play hockey or, or did play hockey. And we're going to be able to capture their enthusiasm for wanting to reconnect to the sport. We're going to be able to be the beneficiaries of that blind hockey in the United States is going to be able to be the beneficiaries of that because we have this relationship with the Kraken and and, you know we're the blind hockey program you know and so um I'm uh, I'm excited it's uh, (laughs) it's really it's really going to be it's really going to be great
0: that's awesome I'm really I'm really glad to hear that and you guys will be the blind crackheads that'll be cool huh totally yeah (laughs)
3: You know, it's. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's uh... it's excited. Well, you know the name. Is, it's yeah. You know, the name is. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I mean, obvi- yeah. you know, it, it, jokes aside, it's it's really exciting to see professional hockey teams embracing the blind community. I think that's going to be the key to growing the sport. Like you said, you know, uh, for for us here in Chicago, it's great because you are Blackhawk. You get a jersey. It's your name. Um, that's a big draw for a lot of people. Uh, and it'll be awesome for you guys to skate at, at the Kraken practice facility because, one, it's going to be top of the line. And, sure. and two, like you said, it is the mystique of of playing on, on NHL ice. That's what I loved about playing in Minnesota. That's what I'm really hopeful um, you know, for the event here in Chicago playing on the Blackhawks practice rink. Uh, it just adds a little something to the to the mix so
3: no no, it definitely does and you know i mean i i i could have retired from playing blind hockey after we played in toronto because i got to play in maple leaf gardens you know what i mean like there is something the sport can make uh, you know the sport can make you know like the most cherished ice or the most cherished buildings available to people who wouldn't otherwise have the means to, to, you know, other than to go watch a game, you have no reason to go in, into a building. Like Maple Leaf Garden, you have no reason to step onto the ice at Johnny's, you know, you don't, but we give them a reason. And that's, that's pretty cool.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, for myself and Josh, uh, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come on and, and talk shop with us. Uh, it was eye-opening, for, for lack of a better term. Um, we really appreciate it. And, you know, best of luck with, with the team and and with Team USA. And, you know, I'm looking forward to, to hopefully seeing you in July.
3: Absolutely, Drew. I appreciate uh, you guys taking the time as well, and I appreciate the invitation. And uh, yeah, definitely looking forward to uh, skating with you in July.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Mark. We really appreciate it again. and th- Thank you for the kind words. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you here in June. And then hopefully again here in July, and you, know, you know where we'll have to go.
0: And that's going to do it for this episode of The Dented Puck. We post new content every Thursday on Anchor, Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Instagram at The Dented Puck and on Facebook at The Dented Puck Podcast. Send us your questions and correspondence to thedentedpuckpodcast at gmail.com. As always, thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you in the next one.